0: science enthusiasts i'm your host jason zakowski i'm a high school chemistry teacher but you probably know our dogs bunsen and beaker they're the science dogs on social media this show takes what's best from their account the curiosity and fun found there and swirls it into podcast form every week we're going to take some deep dive into an area of science and look at the research that's going on with our pets we'll also have an expert guest who will enthrall you with their area of knowledge. This is The Science Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Science Podcast. We hope you're happy and healthy out there. I am recording this early on Thanksgiving. Yes, the Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, Canadians celebrate Thanksgiving on the 11th of October. I think it fluctuates from year to year, and it definitely bamboozles our American friends because they're like, wait a second, you don't celebrate Thanksgiving on the same date we do? No, no, it's kind of a confusing thing. It's not confusing for Canadians, and and we don't call it Canadian Thanksgiving. We just call it Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was a really good discussion on Twitter about it. Actually, the big reason why Canadians have Thanksgiving in October is it's to celebrate the harvest. That's the main reason, and the harvest is generally done in September. So I know the Americans celebrate. Thanksgiving in November, and there's a lot of like, is it in November because of the pilgrims or because of Abraham Lincoln or some kind of holiday thing? If we celebrated Thanksgiving in November, most of Canada would be under snow, and that would make a lot of sense. Uh, you'd have to wait mo- a month or two after the harvest. So if you're listening to this a little bit after, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and a normal Monday for everybody else in the world. What's on the show this week in Science News? I get to talk about giant sloths. Oh boy, I'm so excited. I'll, I'll explain why later. In pet science, some new evidence came out about early dog migration. Um, Really exciting stuff. Our guest and ask an expert is astrophysicist Cheyenne Pullius. Get to talk about space. Hey dogs, now speaking of cleaning up a house because you're so hairy, <laughs> why do you have to clean your house in space so much? Well, there's stardust everywhere. <coughs> Okay, on with the show. There's no time like science time. Okay, we get to talk about giant sloths. And it's actually kind of a scary story about giant sloths, but I have to tell you the background. And I forget if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. My family loves going to museums. I love museums. Uh, When we were in New York City, we went to all the museums. And then when we got back to Canada, a couple of teachers were like, hey, did you go check out a Yankees game or some other sports. And I'm like, no, why would we do that? There's so many museums to see. And they thought we were a little bananas. One of the things I look for in museums, two things. One is a giant sloth skeleton or a giant sloth creation. And the other is the Ankylosaurus, my favorite dinosaur. Now, the reason why I keep looking for giant sloths is this is a long time ago, like 10, 12 years ago. I was teaching a class. Um, it's one of my favorite classes to teach in high school. It's, it's, a, it's a class for in between our most academic kids and the kids that really struggle at school. I really like teaching it. It's really varied. And there's a geology component. And one of the things in the geology component we talk about is ancient animals that have gone extinct. And I was talking about how old the earth was. There's these creatures that roamed on the earth called megafauna, so big animals. And one of them was the giant sloth. And there was a group of kids that didn't believe the earth was that old. They, they probably were from, you know, religious families and, and they did not agree the earth was that old. And they thought I was making up stuff about these giant animals like giant sloths. So it just so happened that that weekend I was going, I was going to the Terrell Museum which is a dinosaur museum in Alberta. And I found a giant sloth skeleton and I took a picture, a selfie with it. And I showed the classes a little bit, Haha, they exist. Here's evidence of me with a sloth skeleton. They still didn't believe me. So now I make a point of every single museum I go to of taking a selfie with a giant sloth. So that's my giant sloth story and why I love them so much. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I ever convinced those kids that the earth was really old and giant sloths exist, but I don't care. I get to take pictures with giant sloths in every museum and it's kind of fun. All right. So what is this new study? Well, if you know anything about giant sloths, the the videos and pictures and like the simulations of how they move, these sloths were huge. They were three meters long. And when they stood up, they were huge. Like it, they would be able to eat the tallest leaves off trees. They would make a human look tiny and they would weigh up to 2,000 pounds. So they were huge. Some of the skeletons I've taken a, a picture with, you know, they're three, four times as tall as I am when they stand up. And we always thought, or I always thought, that they were vegetarians. Like they, they were so big... Because all of the predators were huge and they had to, it was like kind of an arms race. And then they could eat leaves from the top of the trees. But paleontologist Julia Tejeda of the University of Montpellier in France looked at chemicals in the hair um, of these giant sloths. And they found the chemical makeup for a couple amino acids, which could only come from meat sources. So they looked at the, the fossilized hair and these amino acids in the hair could have only come from meat, meat sources, which means the giant sloths would have had to ingest animal protein to get that protein, those amino acids in their hairs. Now the the sciency part is they were looking for nitrogen isotopes specifically in one amino acid, glutamine, and glutam. These isotopes change drastic change drastically with diet, meaning that. Um, the, 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 the food that they eat changes the nitrogen in that isotope. The reason why they keyed in on glutamine is that there's not really other amino acids that change with diet like glutamine does. So by looking at these isotopes, a cool thing was is they could eliminate like stuff from the environment. It couldn't have been environment causing the nitrogen to these nitrogen isotope, isotopes and glutamine to build up. It had to have been their diet. And what their conclusion is is kind of shocking. It, the, the prevailing theory is that these giant sloths were vegetarian. They were herbivores. That's because all of the modern species of sloths are also vegetarians, and their jaws, like the, the old, <laughs> the ancient sloth jaws, weren't adapted for hunting. But what the sloths could have done is eaten killed, like other killed prey, kind of opportunistically or as a scavenger and one of the one of the interesting things is that the giant sloth could have filled the niche of a scavenger because around this time where this animal lived in what was once you know what is now south america it's a puzzle because there's not very many scavenger and carnivorous animals in that area and the sloth could have filled that niche to kind of like be the scavenger itself and pick up after the big meat eaters killed prey. One more reason to love the giant sloth or be terrified of it. Oh, I would, you know, Jurassic Park is one thing. Welcome to Jurassic Park, seeing a tronosaurus rex, seeing a, you know, a giant long-neck dinosaur or brachiosaurus or whatever. I would love to see a giant sloth. So science get on it. That's science news for this week. This week in pet science, we're going to talk about ancient dogs and the humans that were their companions. We've spoken about this before on the podcast, that the Arctic communities had dogs, sled dogs, that were critical to their survival. Now, a new study seems to show that because we can track the movement of Arctic dogs and how they were how they were breeding with dogs not of the Arctic, we can also then track the trade routes of these ancient Arctic humans. It's really interesting. So the crux of it is that these ancient Arctic communities like in Siberia were thought to be super isolated. They, you know, they they didn't actually intermingle their DNA with the population. They were way far away from any of their kind of civilization. And they definitely had Arctic sled dogs to help them around. However, new evidence is showing a couple things. One piece of evidence allowed scientists and archaeologists to start pondering and thinking and finding more evidence about the movement of these Siberian people. A discovery of a grave of a dog, about 2,000 years old, in the Yamal Peninsula in Russia that was buried with glass beads. Now, glass beads in Siberia would be impossible to make, which means those glass beads had to come from further south or further west, not of Siberia which the conclusion of the archaeologists is that the Siberian people maybe had trade routes. After this uh, discovery, it sent a couple uh, archaeologists searching for more evidence of this trade route. This was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Tatiana Fjorburn um, is an archaeologist at the University of Copenhagen that went digging further. Ah, digging. So the her impetus was that dogs and their humans rarely separate for hundreds and hundreds of kilometers, right? Dogs bred for work in the Arctic would stay very, very close to their humans. They wouldn't wander, right? Some dogs wander, of course, uh, but the majority of them don't. Uh, they have a patrol route. We we don't let Munson and Beaker just roam outside our house. We don't have a, a fenced yard, and we're close to a highway, so. We just don't want to lose them on the highway, but I, you know, other farm dogs roam about, but they stay on the farm. It's not like they decide to go on a thousand kilometer trek. This hypothesis means that if you can follow the dogs, that means the humans probably were there too. So the team analyzed DNA from the remains of 49 Siberian dogs. They're about 11,000 year old bone fragments. And they found that these Siberian dogs, unlike their, you know, the Siberian people were mixing with other dogs from European descent. 7,000 years ago. So the DNA from these Arctic dogs was found in European dogs. The, the, the idea is that the humans probably came with the dogs for a trade route. Even more profound is that Trekking with these dogs to create a trade route probably also spread ideas like metalwork and also changing the Siberian culture from hunter-gatherer to reindeer herding. Maybe people saw the Europeans having cows and they're like, hey, we got sort of cows up north where they've got antlers. Let's, uh, let's kind of do the same thing. It's so interesting that because dogs are so intertwined with us, they live with us so closely, they are now markers that archaeologists can use to track human movement. That's pet science or dog science or just cool science for this week. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to our show week after week. If you want to know how to support the Science Podcast, here are a couple ways. It's always going to be free to download, so you'll never have to worry about paying for it. But, you know, things do cost money running a podcast, and and here are a couple ways you could help us out. One is join our Patreon page. It's amazing! It's growing! It's almost like an extended family. There's multiple tiers of support, and we have lots Lots of fun perks for being part of our Patreon page. The other way you could support us is giving us an awesome review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Anywhere you can rate our podcast. Give us a great review. The third way you could support the show is checking out the BunsenBurnerBMD.com website. We have awesome merch there. We worked really hard finding quality merchandise that's comfortable with vibrant colors And you'll find in limited quantities over the next couple months, maybe even less, the 2022 Bunsen and Beaker calendar. So three ways to support us, the Patreon page, two, give us a great review, three, head over to our merch stop and see if there's anything there you'd like. Thanks, everybody. Now on to the interview section. It's time for Ask an Expert on the Science Podcast. And I have Cheyenne Pouyous with me today. How are you doing, Cheyenne?
1: I'm good, thank you. Really excited to be here.
0: Yay! Uh, where, <laughs> where are you calling into the podcast from?
1: So I'm currently in London in the UK right now.
0: Oh, okay. Across, what do they call it? Across the pond? Is that what they yeah. say for us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you say we're across the pond in North America?
1: Yep. Yeah, I say you guys are across the pond.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like when I interview guests from Australia, I'm like, hey, you're down under. And they're like, no, you're up there. So, you know. <laughs> um are you a born and raised person from london like is or is like uh, the uk england your home
1: no it's not so i was born and raised in saint lucia uh in the caribbean so a lovely tropical island uh and i moved to the uk when i was 19 to start my degree in astrophysics so that's why i'm here.
0: oh nice cool 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 uh you obviously must still have lots of uh family back in saint lucia
1: yeah, most of my family is back in St.
0: Lucia. All right, Cheyenne, let's talk about you. You're an astrophysicist. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited. Um, what We usually just, you know, the first bit is just talking about how, like, how did you become an astrophysicist? Um, I would be curious, and I think our, our our listeners would be too, if you shared your story there. Like, what did you, how did you become an astrophysicist?
1: Yeah, so I think thinking back, it definitely started when I was really young. I grew up as an only child. Um, I do have siblings, but in my household, it was just me for a while. So I spent a lot of my time watching documentaries instead of running around and playing like most children would. Um, <laughs> really?
0: That's so cool. <laughs> well, any
1: any kind of documentary, Cheyenne? Yeah, I was glued to like the Discovery Channel and then eventually oh. the Geographic Channel. Um yeah. I watched Eddie and everything. I loved anything like the nature ones, the medical ones, but I always remember the space documentaries being my absolute favorite, Hmm. Um, mostly because of the graphics. Like it's really cool that the artist depictions and stuff that they have in those documentaries, space is beautiful. So just looking at those always made me very happy. But I think uh, space documentaries were my favorite because while I was learning stuff about space and getting to know more about the universe we live in. The documentaries almost always ended with another question. It was like we've spent an hour telling you about all this amazing stuff and all what we know, but actually, there's still more that we don't know. <laughs> and that kind of um, like in between feeling of like I'm really satisfied, but now you've left me even more curious. Um, I think uh, is what kept me very. So it didn't make you. That.
0: It didn't make you frustrated, Cheyenne. It made that you like like that part.
1: I just wanted to know more. And I just, every time I found another one, I thought, okay, maybe this one might answer another question. And this one might answer the question that the last one didn't answer, but it was always just a new question.
0: Oh, Um, wow. (laughs) You were just hungry for information. That's wow. That's so cool. That's the mark of a scientist right there.
1: Yeah. I always just was very curious and wanted to know more. And, that inevitably like came into like my school life once I started going to school. I was like, oh, this is a place just for learning new things. This is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> I enjoyed. I really did enjoy school. And when I started um, doing science, it quickly, very quickly became my favorite subject. And then eventually splitting into the three sciences: so biology, chemistry, physics.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: chemistry and physics were my favorite. But then I realized physics. Something about physics just was a bit more exciting to me. I remember my very first physics class, so just separate physics, when they said the definition of physics is the study of how the universe works. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you remember back to when you were a kid and you are like, this is the thing that answers the questions? Yeah,
1: exactly. Oh. It, was, it was exactly that kind of feeling. It was like, there's a whole subject. Because up until that point, I had no idea what physics really was. I kept hearing all the scientists' names being thrown around, biology. Chem- I knew biology was to do with, you know, people and plants and life. I knew that much chemistry, things change color and they blow up and they bubble. Um, <laughs> but physics wasn't, it was just like, every everyone I asked what was physics, they were like, oh, it's a lot of math. And I was like, well, okay, you don't sound very enthusiastic about that. So it was just this kind of black box of like, what actually is physics? And then they said, it's basically how the world and the universe works. And I was like, why is nobody else excited about this? This is great.
0: (laughs) And then from there, it went into your, uh, like your, your, your after high school education.
1: Yeah. So during high school, actually, I was doing a project on some of the, the great scientists. And one of the ones that I had to research was Galileo. And I saw that he was a physicist. He was an astronomer. He was a mathematician. And then some, at some point in, doing my Google searches, I saw the word astrophysics and I was like, whoa, did they just combine astronomy and physics? Like I didn't know that (laughs) could be done. And looking I spent the rest of the night Googling astrophysics and figuring trying to figure out what it was. And then I saw that there were degrees in it. And I was like, this is an entire field like an entire branch of science all by itself. And then that's when I think that's when things clicked. Like all of those space documentaries I was watching we're just breaking down the physics of what was happening in our universe and physics was that underlying science that explained things in space and from that night I was like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life there's no question like you're telling me my favorite science is what they're using to explain like one of my favorite things which is space wow Um, yeah so that's that like my my passion and my goal in life just kind of fell in my lap to be honest it was like oh i already love these things and there's an entire field dedicated to it so that's how astrophysics got onto the agenda
0: i can hear it in your voice you're just like you're just so passionate to talk about it and it, um some, some you know some people on the podcast they don't know until they get to post secondary and they go through a couple of years and then they the thing that they love comes to them or like maybe it doesn't they they find a path to the thing they love but um it's really cool when you find it a little earlier in life, the the thing you've been searching for, um, gave me goosebumps. Actually, you talking about it, it's really cool. <laughs> um, and then you you went to the United Kingdom to to London for your post secondary, or are you just there? Uh, like I think you mentioned that, right?
1: So uh, the way it works uh, in Tunisia is close to like the European um, schooling. So we have high school to so our secondary school. Um, but we finished that around 16 and then we go on to college. So like, well, what we call college, but like a level for two years. And then we go off to university, which is what you guys call college. So, Uh so I spent two years after um, secondary school in a a community college in St. Lucia. um, And it was to do that extra qualification. I think it's called like advanced level, something, something, but it's a (laughs) level. And I, there was kind of a, you do fewer subjects. So I did chemistry, maths, physics, and then there were some compulsory ones like communication studies and uh, Caribbean studies because it was a, a school in the Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. So I spent two years doing that, and then I needed those qualifications to get into a UK university. So that's when I came to the UK uh, when I was like 18 going on 19. Actually, on my 19th birthday was when I landed in the UK.
0: On your birthday? <laughs> yeah. Was that a good birthday present or was it kind of terrifying?
1: It was, I think it was very exciting. It wasn't planned. It was just when I was organizing my stuff with my visa, things kind of got a little bit delayed. So as soon as my visa got approved, uh, my dad just booked the very next flight and it just happened to be. um, I traveled the day before, but I landed in um, the UK the next day on the morning of my birthday. So (laughs) I think I think it was a good birthday gift. Like it's kind, of, it's yeah. kind of nice. It's kind of sentimental to be like, oh, the first day I came to kind of pursue my dream was like on my birthday. Like, so yeah, I, I kind of see it as as an like, it was an exciting birthday for sure.
0: That's cool because if if anything in in astrophysics you're exploring, and uh, you you know your first journey was this big, you know this big exploration from one side of the world to the other like across the, the ocean that's cool
1: yeah
0: exactly ah <laughs> uh, you're very brave if i if i think back to when i was 19 if and i like i'm from canada like canada to england i mean there's an accent difference and that's about it um <laughs> you know and you know slightly you know our humor is similar to british humor it's kind of dry and uh but like i'd be terrified out of my mind I'd be like i don't know where to go why is everybody driving on the wrong side what the
1: heck <laughs> I I think um, when I think back, a lot of people did ask me like, "Were you were you scared to to leave home and go so far away?" Um, And I think back, and I think I didn't realize how big of a move it was because I've been planning it for so long. Like for Mm -hmm. as long as I can remember, I knew that I'd have to travel to go to university because Indonesia didn't have a university. Mm -hmm. So we had like the University of the West Indies, but that would still be in another Caribbean island. So I knew that if I wanted to go to university, I would have to travel. That was just one of the things that was true for me. So when it came to the point of, okay, well, I want to go to university in the UK. Um, thankfully my daddy was in the UK. So um, it wasn't like I was going there completely by myself, but it was also mm-hmm. the fact that I knew it had to be done. Um, and it wasn't until I was there for a couple of months that I was like, "Whoa, I literally just moved. a car.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> It hits you a little bit
0: later. Hey. what like what are you working on right now like you're you're done i believe correct are you done your your training or are you continuing further
1: yeah so i did an integrated master's program so it just basically joined a bachelor's degree and a master's degree into one four-year program Mm -hmm. usually a bachelor's in the uk is three years so the additional year was that master's qualification um so i did that for Oh, well, it turned out to be five years because I ended up taking a break to do an internship, but I did that for five years. And last year I graduated uh, with my master's in astrophysics. So I can officially call myself an astrophysicist now. Um, but yeah, right now I'm actually working in finance technology, but <laughs> we, can, we can get into that a bit later on. But yeah, I'm done with okay. my astrophysics um, program for now, but I'm definitely planning on going back.
0: Okay, perfect. Perfect, perfect. So um, just a couple follow up questions, uh, and we can get into the what what you're doing now a little later. Um, uh, After like one of the things that I in your profile is this amazing video about uh, how climate change and space are connected. Well, while you're maybe not working in climate change right now, it'd be really interesting. Could you could you talk about that? Is that something you would be able to explain to us?
1: Yeah, sure. So that video came from, so I'm part of an organization called the Space Generation Advisory Council, uh, volunteering with them. And it's a global organization that's trying to raise awareness of how space technology and space exploration can benefit everyone, Um, everyone all over the world. Like the whole thing is like spaces for everyone. Um, So in our group with uh, the other members from the uh caribbean um, volunteers we kind of put together this video series and a webinar series as well focusing on how climate change focusing on how space technology can help with sustainability in the caribbean so focusing on some of those sustainable development goals with climate action being one of them so the connection between climate change and space is the fact that when we think of space we often think of astronauts and going to Mars and like that's all very cool and very exciting but sometimes we tend to forget like a lot of the space technology is satellites and satellites help you with everyday things like they give you your wi-fi they give you weather forecasting they give you your google maps so people tend to sometimes don't really connect space technology with everyday life and that's where the climate action um, and the climate change connection comes in because those weather satellites that are they're forecasting your daily data, but they're also helping you monitor weather patterns on a longer, longer term as well. We also have like high altitude weather balloons that's also considered part of space technology um, that help you monitor changes in the Earth's atmosphere. Satellites can also help you monitor natural disasters like hurricanes, cyclones, these disasters that are expected to get worse um, as climate change happens. So that's kind of the connection there is that these satellites, which are in space orbiting the Earth, uh, actually have a very big part to play in how we monitor climate change and how we help reduce some of the risks of climate change and damages as well. Hmm. What, I've heard it.
0: I've heard it said before. I don't know. I don't know if you would agree or not that, um, like, climate change scientists and climate change is literally astrophysics of our own planet like it there's very there's big similarities between studying mars and the weather there and earth and the weather here
1: yep definitely that as well i like when a part of my degree was learning about all the different solar system planets and why they have the temperatures that they do and the like the atmospheres that they do and they're right it's a very there is a connection when you think of climate change and when you think of astrophysics because the problem with climate change is that you're affecting how like the temperature of our planet one and affecting how our planet kind of normally does things. So how the atmosphere normally um, behaves, which would be Mm -hmm. the hurricanes and the other natural disasters that we expect that we've been seeing um, for the longest time. So you're changing those things and you're changing that on a global scale. Um, So, there is definitely a connection and like studying other planets and studying. If, if you look at Venus, for example, Venus is very similar to Earth and it's believed that it started off very similar to Earth and could have possibly even had life in the past or had the potential to develop life because they see the planets um, being so similar. But Venus ended up with what's called a runaway greenhouse effect. So we hear about greenhouse gases a lot and how they're, they're heating up our planet. Um, Venus ended up with a runaway greenhouse effect that just kept getting the planet hotter and hotter and hotter. And now, even if it's similar to Earth in terms of size and distance from the sun, it's the hottest planet in the solar system and very much inhabitable for humans. <laughs> so all of those studying all of those things just makes us realize just how delicate the balance of everything is on our planet and why climate change is such a big risk.
0: Hmm. It's pretty profound. Thank you. That's I'm just I'm just in, in a deep deep think right now. <laughs> um, yeah, the temperature on I don't know the temperature on Venus. I know it's like crazy, crazy hot, and it, like spacecrafts that try to land, they just melt away. So, um, or they, yeah, they don't so last think,
1: very long. I think a bit of a bit of context. So the average temperature on it is when you look at it on a global scale, all the different areas, the average is sixteen degrees Celsius. Not Sure, what that is in Fahrenheit. I need to get better at my Fahrenheit, um, <laughs> but um, 16 degrees Celsius, um, just probably what you get like you know, fall temperature, like kind of getting colder, but not really that cold. And Venus is 450 degrees
0: Celsius. Oh, <laughs> good grief! <laughs> so, a little bit hotter,
1: just a smidgen, just, just a smidgen. little bit, not too much, you know, just a little bit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm so curious. NASA an- announced two new, like, missions to Venus, right? I think one's a lander and one's a satellite. And yeah. I'm c- curious how they're going to build that lander because um, I am i don't know. That's, that's some crazy temperatures they're going to have to deal with.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. They're going to need a lot of um, just, like, insulation to kind of block off the heat <laughs> from getting in and cooling systems. And there's going to be a lot of engineering and science going into that for sure. Cool, cool.
0: Um, a fun question before before my next kind of follow up one is that uh, you were mentioning the planets. I always ask uh, folks who study the sky and study space, uh, do you have a favorite planet?
1: My favorite planet is actually Venus. Um, it is. Oh, cool! It is. Yeah, it's funny that we were talking we we're talking about Venus. Um, I think it's it's just that same thing I was mentioning that Venus is so similar to Earth when you think about just size and just just its characteristics it could have been so similar to this like always call it like Earth's evil twin um <laughs> because but I think what made Venus my favorite is when I was learning about it and learning about all the different processes that they believe um led to the planet being so hot so what I just was talking about before about mm-hmm. that runaway greenhouse effect and they think that it could have been a result of Venus having oceans in the past and the oceans evaporating, and even water vapour is like a greenhouse gas, so that traps mm-hmm. heat as well. So they're saying that if the oceans are evaporating and um, there's more water vapour in the atmosphere, that makes it hotter, and that's kind of you know starting off that runaway greenhouse effect. So I think just learning the science behind how Venus could have been Earth but didn't quite get to that point, I, I don't know. That was very fascinating to me to see that just just those just like something that could have been a very small change just kind of threw everything off balance. And I think that's mm-hmm. why Venus ended up being my favorite because it was one of the ones that I found most interesting learning about how it came to be what it is today.
0: It must feel it fills me with wonder. It probably does too. You like uh if you're thinking if you're thinking like a couple changes in the past, Venus could be like another earth like imagine the differences we would have we would have another planet to go explore within striking distance that could have life like us but it did, just didn't go that way it became this like death planet <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly when the exact opposite like that would have been cool if you developed technology and like yeah i'm just going on vacation to venus to like meet some new humans like yeah so it would have been really cool
0: when when you start talking, like, I'm not you. I know a little bit about space. I know how big stars are relative to the earth. Uh, but like, all of these things are just so out of the realm of your average everyday experience. Like, I can see why p- astrophysicists are just so passionate about the universe. Because it's so wild. Like, you know, isn't it? It's just bananas, isn't it?
1: It is. It really is. I was just uh, last night, I was just looking at the moon and I was thinking, my the way my brain works and the things I think about is probably so different from everyone else because <laughs> I was just looking at the moon and it was a half moon and my brain just started thinking like, okay, I'm seeing half of the moon because the sun is lighting up half of the moon and the position that the moon is in its orbit, like that's why I'm seeing half. Like I just started going into the astrophysics behind why I'm seeing this half moon and I was like it was making me so excited because you learn all of these like I learned all these things in my degree and it's very theoretical and it's very much like you say it's kind of sometimes so far removed from everyday life and I'm so fascinated and I believe that of course like it exists and we have evidence for it and we see things in our telescopes um but then when you actually witness like something as small as just looking at the moon you're like this is the moon that's orbiting around us because we're just like a blue marble just floating through space like we're existing in this universe and sometimes we just don't even remember that so it, it, it it's, it's kind of, it is exciting and it is a very interesting perspective to have when you kind of is going through everyday life and working a nine-to-five and just like doing, the, <laughs> doing the things that everyone else does but sometimes I just sit there for a while and I think we're existing in an amazing universe so like do you ever do you ever
0: do you ever have trouble relating to some of your friends they're like oh my god this happened to me today and you're like just stop for a second and i will tell you about the problems of our nearest star right like <laughs> <laughs> does it I ever
1: think- get
0: does it get that bad sometimes
1: <laughs> i i think i've learned to uh um, keep it keep most of it in my head <laughs> oh, <times. no. laughs> my friends my friends are definitely um really good like they always ask me questions and they love when Aww. I talk about space and they love when I explain things about space but um I try not to be like oh don't worry like don't worry about this problem in your life right now like you know
0: because you're yeah, so yeah, small amazing. and we're just on a little marble like don't worry exactly. about it
1: like you live for like seventy, eighty years, and the universe has been around for like billions of years. Like it's your life is insignificant. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can, you no, Can you imagine?
0: Can <laughs> you imagine? Nobody'd ever want to talk to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, and you know, going and be like, I shouldn't have to pay taxes because it doesn't even matter in the grand scheme. <laughs> no, definitely not. I I kind of have a a very balanced perspective, and I see. I see the beauty in just like the little, um, the ways that we live life and the ways that we are kind of not so much disconnected, but we don't think about just how big the universe is and it's all of those things (laughs) that are going on. Like I still see like it's it's, it's, it's relevant because sometimes I tell myself I can't get too carried away with with thinking about things like that. (laughs)
0: I'm just I'm just laughing. I'm just thinking about how I'm glad you're so grounded because I can think about like if you had if you if you had a little bit less grounding, um like you could it's the average astrophysicist could potentially become so insufferable, like they
1: would just be like Your earthly
0: problems are nothing mortal, you know?
1: (laughs) Just shouting Uh, in the middle of the street like nothing matters in this world. Like
0: Oh, my goodness! oh my goodness! Um, uh, before we move on to the kind of the fun questions, uh did you want to talk about what you're working on right now like what you your 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 job uh, you we mentioned you mentioned that at the start of the podcast
1: Yeah, sure. so I'm currently working in finance technology, so my company uh we kind of provide data and software for investment professionals, so like institutions like investment banks and insurance companies um so definitely not astrophysics at all. Um, but I am in the analytics team so a lot of my role is kind of helping our clients with the more technical products and it it brings in that aspect of problem solving and data analysis that I did do a lot of in my physics degree Hmm. uh, which is probably why I landed the job um, because I knew nothing about finance before I started Hmm. Um, so yeah that's like what I'm doing now and that kind of just uh, came about as an opportunity when I was looking for jobs I knew that I would the more abundant jobs out there for physics graduates are definitely in data data science and, and the finance world loves us for our problem solving and our coding skills as well. So it wasn't a surprise that I ended up in, you know, in a corporate film that does something that's not exactly physics, um, but I am just enjoying the experience for now. Um, and definitely everything I do outside of work is still space related and still science related because I haven't lost that that passion for it yeah we'll talk
0: about that uh at the end of the podcast like i guess you know you know like it makes total sense if you can figure out how the universe works you can probably figure out how our financial system works um i am not that smart i people have tried to explain bitcoin and now these nfts to me a bunch of times and it's just like i feel like i'm michael scott from the office i'm like (laughs) you need to explain this to me like i'm five like i do not every t- it does make no sense to me so um like folks with you that are like haha i know how stars do the thing and and it must it and like yeah i can I, yeah i can figure out your money folks so yeah <laughs> but that's cool that's great that there's some um skill transference there um yeah
1: yeah definitely i think physics physics graduates or like stem graduates in general actually are like some of the most employable people out there and not putting mm-hmm down any other degree like all degrees are useful and have their place in this world but I think the way the world is moving now is everything getting you know being connected to technology and the fact that you're leaving your degree with these numerical skills and these programming skills and just problem solving skills like when you think about it every pretty much every business in the world is formed off of trying to solve a problem so if you have problem solving skills which is something you develop while doing science because you're trying to figure out how things work like, you're very, very employable. And I am very grateful to have learned that during my degree. So I was able to kind of sell myself um, better when I was applying for jobs. But I think people definitely underestimate what you can do with, like, a natural science degree.
0: Hmm. That's so true. <laughs> like, and, and you don't give up easily, right? Like, very true. <laughs> like, especially if you've t- pursued, like, some kind of research. Like, every day is a bad day in research sometimes. Like, every day nothing works. Yeah. And you, you've, got, you've got to, like, oh, man – This didn't work. And you gotta like especially if you're coding, like I spent all day and I pressed enter and it just went error. So, you know, (laughs) gotta figure it out. So yeah, I can see that. That's cool. (laughs) So a couple of the standard questions we ask on the podcast, because we're we uh put animals and science together, is to have our guests share a pet story. Um (laughs) do you have a do you have a pet story from your life you could share with us?
1: Yeah, sure I do. So I grew up most of my life uh, having small dogs. I did have turtles at one point, but I was very young, so don't mm-hmm. remember much about them. But I did have a lot of small dogs. And my last dog, when I was living back in Sanusha, um, I always remember she, she would always kind of wait outside my door around the time that I would be waking up and just waking up to get ready for school. Um, and there was one day I was sick and I wasn't going to school. So I didn't come out. And my mom and everyone else walking around the house. She just kind of laid by my door and people were just like, Okay, I guess she's waiting. She's waiting for Cheyenne to come out. But Cheyenne's not coming out this morning because she's sick. Uh and as soon as my mom opened the door to tell me something, she just flew onto my bed. Like she doesn't she didn't normally come onto the bed. Sometimes she would very like creep into the room a little bit and like see if maybe I would call her to like play with her. Like but she knew that you know, not that she wasn't allowed on the bed, but just not something she ever really did. She would come up close to the bed and she would, you know, look with those big puppy dog eyes and want you to pick her up. But that morning, as soon as the door opened, she just she just ran and like jumped onto my bed and she just laid next to me. She didn't like do anything. She just kind of laid there. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so it's to me it's so crazy how observant animals are, especially dogs. Like you like you didn't think like every morning she waits for me, okay, fine. But you never think like she would actually be worried or curious as to like oh but you didn't come out this morning like where are you like what are you doing like what's going on um, <laughs> and I always remember that because yeah it just I, I wasn't expecting it I wasn't expecting her to just kind of jump on and just you no know, She like she just it kind of seemed like she just wanted to know that I was okay and like everything was fine because I didn't come uh, out that morning
0: ah uh, yeah we don't deserve dogs they're <laughs> just so don't. good they're just so good <laughs> I mean don't get me wrong Bunsen and Beaker can be crazy annoying sometimes <laughs> but that's like probably 2% of their existence. The other 98% is just like wholesome pureness. And yeah, that's <laughs> such an adorable, I'm sorry. What was the, what was your dog's name again? I'm sorry.
1: Her name was Mink.
0: Mink? Aww. Yeah. <laughs> very cute. Very cute. I know you're very busy right now. Um, I always ask guests this. Are, are you planning to get a pet in, in the future? Um, I really do. When things, do.
1: Um, are, when things like, are a little
0: less uh, bananas for you?
1: Yeah, not right now. Um but I definitely want to in within the next few years, hopefully I do really love animals and I do really love dogs and I'm just kind of waiting to yeah, get to a point where I'm a little, a little bit more settled and I can give them the attention and the love that mm-hmm. they need. But yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to get a pet soon.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They, 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 you do need to have some kind, like unless you have support from outside of just you, um, yeah, dogs are a lot of work, and, and you're, yeah. you have a thousand things going on. So, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> um, that, that's an adorable pet story. Thank you for sharing that, Cheyenne. Uh, the other, the other question that's a fun one we ask guests is to share with us a super fact. Um, and aside, aside from the temperature of Venus, which I'm still really having trouble wrapping my head around, uh, <laughs> do you have a super fact you could share with us? Something that would kind of make us our brains melt.
1: <laughs> yeah, so my favorite space fact of all time, out of everything I've learned, is the fact that almost every element in your body right now was made in past generations of stars. Like, you, your, your body and what your body is made of used to be part of a star at some point in the universe. Like, that to me is just, when you think about it, it's just... Wow. Like what? You you're you're literally a star. Like that's what they say like you you we are stardust, like you're made of stars. I love that.
0: Um when I was young, right? Like you're you're younger than me, but when I was uh your age or younger, uh Carl Sagan said that and uh I had to like stop and think for like days after. It just like <laughs> blew my brain to smithereens. Uh that's that's wild. Uh, Do you tell that to people and they just don't know what to say back? They're just like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm,
1: you know? Most people I tell uh, are kind of just like, find it really cool. Or maybe they ask me like how or why, which I'm happy to explain as well. Because I had heard the, the famous quote from Carl Sagan before, but it didn't really click until I learned the actual science behind why it's a thing. And that just made it even more amazing for me. Is
0: it, okay, so just a follow-up question, is it true the iron in our blood, like iron metal, that has to have come from, like, a dead star? Like, that's one of the big things, the big clues?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, stars, like, are the only thing in the universe that would create iron. Like, there's hmm. no other process that we know of right now that would create iron apart from fusion in a star. Wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> so things made of iron like uh, our cars are stardust too like there's more than just us
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah it is everything like all the planets all the different planets are made of the only thing that wasn't made in a star there are a few other elements from a few other processes but for the most part the only thing that wasn't made in stars is hydrogen and helium because hmm. they started off from the big bang so everything else after that was made in a star
0: Um, I got to be careful. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and ask you (laughs) 100,000 questions here. I'm so, so interested. Okay. Well, that is a very cool super fact. Um, I hope people who are driving, you've pulled off to the side of the road to just, just like calm down for a second. Don't get into (laughs) an accident because of Cheyenne's super fact. Okay. (laughs) Um, The last section of the podcast is a really, it's a fun one, but can also be really uh, like insightful. Where we ask our guests something that's important to them, um, a cause or a hobby, and um, you have two that you would like to talk about, um, and I'll let you take it away. I don't want to. I don't want to try and explain them with with without you you doing a better job. So w- go ahead, Cheyenne.
1: Yep. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that are very dear to my heart at the moment. It's no surprise that they're space and science related. So I a few years ago I co-founded uh St. Lucia's first. National Astronomy Association Uh, as I mentioned a bit towards the beginning of the podcast like I did grow up in St. Lucia and there wasn't much happening or anything at all happening um when it came to space I think I probably learned about the solar system planets in primary school and beyond that nothing really space related no space activities you know stargazing those kinds of things um but somehow I discovered astrophysics and decided i wanted to do that but i definitely wanted to change that for people in tenusia and people who are interested in in astrophysics and astronomy and just show them a lot of people right now are enthusiasts and very much into stargazing but also wanting to bring home the fact that it's something that you can have a career in like there's so many people who think oh i could like when i I can't really do space things. I'm not smart enough. I don't know how to do science. I don't know how to do math. I don't want to be an engineer, but there's so many different skills that come into the space sector. You need the artists, the artist's pictures. You need the communicators to, you know, relay information and do the press releases and all that. There's so many different Hmm. like um, jobs you can have in the space sector. And I just want to show people that it doesn't, first of all, give them that space to explore that passion um, but also be an example and show that it doesn't just have to stop at being a hobby. If that's all you want to do, then by all means, for sure, like space is exciting, it's beautiful, like that's great. But I also want to show people who don't have much around them um, in St. Lucia and in the rest of the Caribbean as well, that you can't have a career in the space sector. It's not like it's not something that's out of your reach. Um, so it's a St. Lucia National Astronomy Association, which abbreviates to LUNA, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, that's one thing that I definitely care about. I did mention Space Generation Advisory Council towards the beginning of the podcast and talking about, um, the benefits of space technology. But then another cause that I'm very passionate about is the, the Black in movements that are happening, um, a lot on social media recently. So black in X, but my, the one that I'm a co-organizer for is black in Astro. So it's kind of, Trying to build a more complete picture of what a scientist looks like. Um, traditionally, you see a lot of like science is a very white, male-dominated field, um, but it's trying to show that there are there are like right now it's not very diverse, but just trying to amplify the diverse voices that are in the field and trying to support um, you know the ethnic minorities that are in the field as well. So Black in Astro is kind of helping. Black people in astronomy fields and you know aerospace engineering and those kinds of fields find a community and find support and just amplify their voices to show people that we do exist and we are here doing really great science and encourage the younger generation that may feel discouraged by the lack of diversity that there is a place for you and you can succeed um, in this space as well.
0: Very very profound, like amazing that back in your home country you've started this program that uh boy it just gives people a foothold like kids and adults a foothold to to get involved in space yeah. and and then the the movement the black and astro also really cool like when when i was growing up like i'm a i'm a white guy from canada the only people in in space i knew about were just a bunch of white guys the only scientists i knew about were a bunch of white guys so i've been just i've been loving following that hashtag and, and seeing all of the different voices that are out there and, and that um, like I'm a teacher uh, I teach high school chemistry and I always like after after I interview somebody like you I talk about I talk about your profile in class and the kids in my class they can see that oh there's somebody that looks like me I can do this too right instead of like when I was a kid I don't know how many black kids when I was a kid had like oh well the only the only people in space I see are white people so
1: yeah definitely It um, definitely helps and I didn't I for myself even if I've been involved in a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives like throughout my time in the UK it didn't really um I didn't really realize just how impactful representation was like I obviously we know representation matters but it wasn't until I found the black industrial community last year that I realized just how much I was missing that sense of belonging something you don't really for me I didn't know until I experienced it and I was like wow there are other people, like you say, other people who look like me in this space. So I, and I'm doing the same thing that I'm doing. And I'm not the only black person or the only black woman in astronomy. And you, you know, that in the back of your mind, but if you don't meet people who are also oh. in that space, it it kind of seems like something that, you know, you don't, it doesn't, it just doesn't really feel true. Even if you know that there must be somebody else somewhere in the world doing it. So having that community, you definitely changed my life. I think if I had it a lot earlier on in my degree, I would have had a lot like a much better experience. So hoping that through these initiatives that we can help like the younger generation have that experience from early on and have that support from early on, because it definitely makes a big difference.
0: Hmm. And I, I can't put myself in your shoes to feel what you, you felt. Uh, I, I, I'm a a totally different experience. Um, But I, I, I do teach kids and I know how important that is. And it is it in my own class like just antidotal it makes a huge difference having that and just the service uh that you've done starting that in other groups the other black and black and botany or you know um black Birders week like all of those other ones it's just uh, i i just i I watch it in awe and I'm just so thankful for folks like you so thank you
1: yeah and um, thank you to the people who've definitely started the initiatives i know like Ashley Walker started like founded Black and Astro um, and people who mm. just just founded all those different hashtags and each one has like an amazing set of people behind it. so I'm grateful mm. to them as well. Um, but
0: yeah. I, I love Ashley Ashley Walker <laughs> yes yeah she's she's awesome <laughs> yes, she <is. laughs> Well, thanks for sharing your causes. Uh, we'll have links to is okay are they are, do they have websites uh, okay. Cheyenne?
1: So Black and Asher has a website. Uh, okay. Luna is working on a website at the moment, but we do have social media pages so I can share that okay. with
0: you. Sure. If you send me links in the show notes, uh, everybody, there'll be a link to all of these different organizations. If you want to learn more and to the, I know there's a lot of educators that listen to the science podcast. Um, when it's get, when it's time to talk space, just show, show the kids these, the, the page. I mean, it's pr- pretty profound. It's yep. uh, so that the resources are out there for you that these amazing people have made.
1: Yep, definitely. Hmm.
0: Well, we're at the end of uh, the interview, Cheyenne. Thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to me today. This has been so fun. I've learned so much. Um, uh, thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm very, very happy to be here. Very happy to see to see the, the person behind Vincent and Beaker for sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, for people who are listening, uh, I screwed up. I, I was an hour late um, I, I forgot the time zones were a little different and I, I messed up by one hour and Cheyenne was gracious to start about, uh, nine minutes late. So thank you, Cheyenne.
1: <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs>
0: um, oh, one more thing. Can people follow you on social media? Where, yes, where can people connect with you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So my most, I think my most exciting social media is probably Twitter. Uh, that's where most people find me. Uh, it's just my name, Cheyenne Polius. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram, more selfies than science, but trying to you know, <laughs> bring, bring the two of them together as well. And of course, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, ask me any questions about, you know, getting into astrophysics or um, just my experience in general or any other like STEM field, I'm happy to connect there as well. So just search Cheyenne use wherever you find me on whatever platform, like feel free to follow, send me a message. Um, yeah, just... that's completely fine with me. I love
2: connecting. It's time for story time with me, Adam. If you don't know what story time is, story time is when we talk about stories that have happened within the past one or two weeks. Uh, Mom, do you have a story?
3: I sure do. Bunsen has decided that toddler time needs to be intensified, like how beakering intensifies. It's it's toddler time intensifies. It's been every night this week where he lays down beside me and he's like, oh, rub my tummy, rub my tummy. You're not rubbed. at bedtime too. And at bedtime too. So this is new. This is new. At bedtime, he, he has been jumping into the bed and taking up the whole bed because he's a monster. <laughs> he, takes he takes it all up and it, we kind of have a princess in the pee moment. But Jason's the prince because Bunsen licks the bed and Jason can't deal with bed lick. <laughs> and, and I just, he, licks the bed. he licks the bed for some inexplicable reason, like blankets, the bed, the whole thing. And so maybe it's stress. I hope it's not stress. No, it's,
0: fun. it's just, I don't want to sleep in dog lick.
3: I know. And I I can just close my eyes and go to sleep and Jason cannot. And so it's always like, you know, remember that story about the princess and the pea and like if it's flannel or if it's a little bit scratchy, it's just death to Jason. That's he,
0: why we moved the blankets downstairs. They were scratchy. They
3: were. Yeah. He couldn't deal with the flannel sheets, even though he's Canadian. Yeah, okay. Let's, go, go figure. Let's
0: sleep in freaking insulation. The,
3: all you, you do is you close your eyes. Pinkins R factor,
0: whatever the pink,
3: the, the, the pink panther.
0: Might as well sleep on glass shards.
3: Glass shards. All right. But that's my story, that Bunsen is new level toddler time. That's my story.
2: Okay. It's time for my story. My story is about Beaker, as always. Um, So if you don't know about Beaker, Beaker's a very cuddly dog. Um, She sort of like comes up and sits with you if you're doing anything on the couch. Um, Unless she's um, particularly mad at you because you spun her around about five times. wonder who that would be. It's me. Beaker... If she's sitting on the couch and you're watching a TV show, she will watch the TV show with you. She'll pay attention to it. Um, And when there's dogs on there, she'll bark at them. Um, I don't know. I guess it's like, oh, look, dogs on the TV. But she doesn't realize it's a TV. She thinks it's just actual dogs. But she'll watch the TV. She'll watch it. And if she's not interested, she'll put her head back down and then sleep. Um, But, yeah, that's my story. Beaker watching the TV. Dad, do you have a story? Okay. So this is kind
0: of a gross and embarrassing story. Uh, So, you know, we have chickens. Um, My father-in-law Gord has these chickens. Adam helps Gord with the chickens all the time. How many chickens are there, Adam? Like eight? There
3: are Uh, nine
0: chickens. Nine chickens and and roosters. So 10 chickens, 10 whatevers. Anyways, so Gord had to, he's been, he had to move their, like the scrapings off the bottom of the coop. And stupid me, he's like, hey, where should we put all this these scrapings? I was like, I don't care, down the hill. Um, so he used the skid steer, which is like a little mini bobcat that we have, and moved like a huge bucket full of like, a years worth of chicken poop and sawdust and dumped it down the hill. No problem, right? It's going to snow soon. Oh my goodness. As soon as the dogs get outside, they run right to the chicken poop and want to play in it and eat it. And it's a nightmare. So today... On the, when I took them out for a walk, they were, they, they go screaming out of the house and they fight for a little bit, which is hilarious. And they went around the, the other way of the house. And I was like, aha, I'll cut them off. So I ran and stood in front of where the chicken poop pile is. And they saw me and boy, were they disappointed. They're like, oh, he's there. And Beaker's like, Beaker's like, I'm going to, I'm going to deke around them. But nope, she didn't get by me as I'm a goalie and I protect getting scored on with, by the, On the chicken poop. I don't know. Figure out your analogy. It's disgusting. I can't wait for it to snow, so it's all covered up in snow. That's my disgusting
2: story. That's the end of story time. Uh, Hope to see you guys on the next time on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's
0: show. Thanks for coming back week after week to listen to the Science Podcast. Also, special thanks to Cheyenne Poulias, who's the astrophysicist that talked to us today. I loved her chat. She's so inspirational. We'd also like to give a special shout-out to our top-tier patrons on Patreon. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Some really exciting news is coming down the pipe, and it's because of their support we were able to make it possible. All right, Chris, take it away. Let's hear the patrons' names.
3: Chris Kelly, Samantha Dodd, Kimberly Bond, Nate Stephenson, Debbie Anderson, Courtney Proven, Renee Hardy, Mary Ryder... Shelby Leggett, Dan Fry, Mary Coos, Cat Lud Lynch, Marianne McNally, Andrea Persons, Elizabeth Bourgeois, Karen Beth St. George, Bianca Hyde, Leela Prilio, Lynn Armstrong, Lisa Swartz, Katherine Jordan, Donna Craig, Lila Ashier, Jody Ogren, Liz Button, Kathy Zurker, and Ben Rathard.
0: For science, empathy, and cuteness.